Welcome to The Animated Journey, a podcast featuring interviews with animation professionals working in television, film, and games. I'm your host, Angela Ensminger, and today we're going to get right into it because this is an amazing interview. I interviewed my friend and mentor, Rosanna Sullivan, who is a story artist at Pixar Animation Studios, who worked on The Good Dinosaur and is currently working on Coco. Rosie has a really awesome story. She actually started off in the sciences. She was planning on becoming a veterinarian, and it's pretty cool hearing how she talks about her journey, how she decided to switch from being in the sciences to going into the arts, and I know that will be inspiring for everybody. So like I said, we're going to get right into it. So on with the show. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the podcast. I am here today with my friend and mentor, Rosanna Sullivan. Hi, Rosie. How are you? I am great, Angela. Thanks for asking and inviting me onto the show. Thank you for being on the show today. This is very excited to be able to talk with you and to be able to have people hear your story of not only how you became a story artist at Pixar, but just about your life in general and your views on art and how art can help make everyone's lives better. Hmm, that sounds wonderful. So let's get started at the very beginning. Rosie, where are you from? I was born in South Carolina, Charleston, South Carolina, and I grew up in Texas for 16 years. And then when I was in high school, just before 2000, my dad got a job. He's a professor, got a job at University of San Francisco. And so we moved to San Francisco um, in 2000, and I've been living here in San Francisco ever since. Very good. And I know also uh, you had mentioned that you've been to Malaysia a couple of times. Oh, yeah, maybe like a handful of times throughout my life, ranging from visiting every couple of years when I was really young to the biggest span of time between visits was 15 years. And the last time I went was 2010. That is great. And I know as well that that's influenced some of your storytelling and some of your art. And I was curious if you'd like to share, you know, what some of those influences have been. Uh, yeah, like, so on a superficial level, like I, I'm influenced a lot by just like the, the culture and style of, of Malaysia, um, because, you know, it's just very close to me with my family living there, my mom's side of the family and sort of those influences she brought from Malaysia to her life here in America. So I just grew up seeing a lot of these, uh, say, sculptures and paintings and artwork. And she also was a painter. Uh, when she was younger. So I just grew up watching her paint. And also on a storytelling level, my when I was very young, my mom raised my brother and me as Muslim, and she would tell stories from the Quran or about the prophets uh, when I was really young. So I just grew up kind of uh, with that sort of almost uh, religious side of storytelling, but still there is like a very uh, sort of mythical hero's journey aspect to it that that really drew me to storytelling from a very young age. Uh, a lot of oral tradition style telling, basically. That is great. And I know as well that that's influenced some of your storytelling and some of your art. And I was curious if you'd like to share, you know, what some of those influences have been. Yeah. 
So that is, a, a, it's always like a, a hard question to answer because I'm always trying to find ways to condense it down. <laughs> but the, the, I guess the, the biggest kind of revelation for me, I'll just start with that, was when I took an elective art course, basically a painting course in my fourth year of college. And I was a biology major then already getting my experience in hours uh, volunteering in vet clinics and hospitals and looking into vet schools. And so I had to take an elective art course just as part of the curriculum for finishing my graduation requirements in undergrad. And I realized that I was way more interested in painting and I was spending way more time painting and hanging out in the uh, art studio than studying for my physics and chemistry exams, despite still being trying to be disciplined about it, you know, trying to pass the tests and everything. But it became almost this like existential realization myself that had I continued in this path, which I could have very well have just gone, continued on to vet school or whatever pathway into science, had I continued that, I knew deep down that I would not be as happy or fulfilled as if I tried this art path. And at the time, it was very vague. I didn't even know that Pixar existed. I thought it was all under the same umbrella of Disney at the time. And I didn't even know people had full-time jobs as animators or storyboard artists. then. so I just knew very vaguely, but very deeply that I needed to paint or draw or do something that was creative. And that was a very hard decision because my dad is a biologist. He wanted me to go into science like him. And he, he was very supportive of the switch, but I basically had to be honest with myself then. And, and so I switched from from biology to art and, and did my final year of college, which is that I had to take an extra fifth year and finished off my degree with a major in fine arts. And that was also in uh, the time where I got an informal internship through a professor at my university who was teaching sculpture classes at Pixar University. And she hooked me up with gig there. And that's, that's when the whole world opened up to me. And I'm like, okay, I need, I need to work in animation. I don't know if I'll get a job at Pixar, but I just know I need, I, I just know that there are jobs out there for artists. That's a great story. And it's very encouraging as well, because, you know, a lot of people go into college thinking, I'm going to do this, this is going to be my path. And then sometimes while they're in college, and sometimes after college, they realize, you know, I, I think I would rather do this. And so it's encouraging to hear that you had the courage to switch. And that can also be a difficult thing to tell your family, especially if you come from a family where you're doing what they were doing. And then having to tell them what you're doing is great. It's a great profession, but I have found my calling elsewhere. Yeah, it takes a lot of courage. And I will be honest, I was scared deep down at the bottom of my soul for this decision. I mean, I doubted every step of the way. Even when I started working at Pixar, I still every now and then thought, you know, wouldn't it have been better if I had become a veterinarian? But that never really, I mean, now I I love what I do and I, I don't regret the decision I made, but it definitely was scary not knowing if I would even get a job. And I know there are plenty of people out there who, who face that same fear of, is this the right decision in my life? But because I was very honest with myself every step of the way, and I knew the uh, potential risks of making this kind of decision, 
I think I sort of overcompensated by just pushing myself and my skills and, and really going out of my way to talk to professionals and asking questions and researching um, on the internet and, and as much as possible, just getting as much information out there because I knew that it would be hard. And that basically it was an infinitely uphill battle to get what I wanted, which is to get paid doing what I like to do. What was the conversation like with your professor that led to you getting that internship at Pixar or the conversations? Because I imagine that it was more than one talk that y'all had, you know, multiple conversations talking about your career path. Um, so I don't remember verbatim or even really a lot of what we talked about. And the professor that, that got me the internship, her name is Pamela Blotner. She's a sculptor. She, she was already uh, setting students up with the internship at Pixar University. So I wasn't the first one. There's already a precedent of other students. And so she, she saw in me that uh, I was interested. She just asked like, hey, do you, do you want to do this? And she also, I think, saw that I had potential maybe to be more interested in animation. But the, the professor that really was a huge influence in, in my decision to switch from biology was the painting course professor that I took as an elective while I was still a major. Her name is Ellie Shahide. She's Iranian and she um, paints like mosques. That's sort of, uh, at the time, at least, that was the series of very large, beautiful paintings of mosques. And, from around the world. And she basically was very matter of fact in saying, you love doing this. Why aren't you doing this? Why are you going into biology? And um, she wasn't, you know, trying to be provocative about it, but she was very matter of fact. And, and she saw in me what I wasn't willing to admit in myself at the time for various reasons. You know, one, I didn't want to disappoint my parents and that I was, you know, medicine or science in general is a much more stable path. And, and so she, she encouraged me to open up to, you know, what I really wanted. And I couldn't say that myself at first. So, you know, she just kept gently encouraging me by uh, asking me what I wanted over and over again and saying not to be afraid. And she was a very strong woman herself. You know, she was a full-time artist painting, but also uh, supplemented that with, with teaching. So, but basically it was her just being very frank and saying, you know, Hey, you obviously like this and maybe you should make the change. That's excellent. And I know that's a, that's a running theme. The lives of a lot of people that I've met who become artists is meeting someone or a couple of people and having them really inspire you to being able to become that sort of artist. Yeah, it's, it's, I think, really important for any, whether it's an artist or any uh, profession or passion, I guess, for anyone where it just takes someone to see potential in you or, or just see that you're really into this and help you along the way. Like, she wasn't the only mentor I've had. I'd say she was probably the first mentor on my path to, to becoming an artist, but I've had plenty of mentors along the way. And, and when I've doubted myself and wanted to give up and turn back, there's always another person in my life that kind of gave me another boost of encouragement. 
whether or not they were actually being nice about it. <laughs> you know, sometimes you get tough love encouragement, but, but yeah, it's, I, I think it's really important one from the more experienced artists, you know, veterans out there to take on people, but also from the art, the people who want to become artists to seek out mentors. Very good. So let's go then to the Pixar internship itself. What was that like? What were they having you do? Um, so the, the internship for Pixar University, it was very informal. It wasn't paid and I was receiving university credit for it, which is, so it was a more formal setup where it sort of counted as a class basically that would work towards my final graduation requirements. And I, I basically acted as a liaison for Pixar University, which is, is like an internal enrichment program for their employees. So they set up art classes, they, they set up events, they bring in people to be interviewed. So it's, it's, a, it's basically like a university within Pixar, hence the name. And so I did things ranging from just setting up the art room where people would take art classes, like sculpture classes or drawing, live drawing classes, to posting up, designing and posting flyers around the studio, advertising events that would be upcoming. And also just sort of communicating with people like artists within the, who are working on different productions and sending things to them from the Pixar university department or organizing things for various things. So this is pretty, a, a pretty broad program, but it really allowed me to get exposure to everyone working in animation field at, at Pixar and really learn like sort of behind the scenes from a very, I guess, ground level view of like, okay, this is what it takes to make an animated movie. This is the pipeline. Here are all the roles along the way. Like I didn't know any of that stuff before Pixar University. You know, I did, I assumed it was just made by magical elves, you know, every movie. Uh, the Keebler elves come in or uh, the Oompa Loompas drop in during the night, make the movie and then quickly scatter away. Yeah, exactly. And they, and they, which I still think they do, but you know, there's other people that <laughs> that apparently. I've looked when I was there. I did not find them, but they they may be there hiding in the shadow somewhere. Yeah, yes, they. You have to look very very hard, but um, yeah, it was just opening my eyes to this world that was previously uh, a mystery to me, and also meeting artists, meeting other people that did the things that I, I realized I wanted to do. And one of the biggest uh, successes of that was meeting Mark Andrews by um, helping out. Like I volunteered on one of his short films that he was doing through Pixar University. And Pixar University is, is not just, you know, a resource that provides classes or sort of events, but it also allows artists to work on personal projects. So you could work on a personal film or a anything and they'll support it like by providing resources. And so that's what they did with Mark Andrews. So he made a short live action film. And I, I was just sort of like a, a production assistant running around and helping wherever I could on set. And that's how I met him. And towards the end of my internship, which lasted a semester, I asked him if he would be my mentor. <laughs> Very bluntly, I'm like, hey, I, I really am interested in this storyboarding thing. I don't really know what it is, but would you like to help me out and, and teach me your ways? And he said yes, to my surprise. Yeah, Mark's a very cool person and very helpful and very giving of his time. Oh, yeah. 
he's he's probably one of the biggest inspirations for me of of what I want to be like because I I'm still working on my time management and <laughs> communication skills as you know but I feel like you have very good communication skills. Yeah, but I could be better at getting back to people. <laughs> but you know, just just being generous cuz up to that point, I always thought of artists as, you know, the loner who works away in their little caves somewhere and, and you know, they, they don't have to answer to anything to the world. They just work on their genius works of art and the world does and buys up their art. But Mark showed me that being an artist also means being collaborative and helping people because as you're constantly learning, you realize that you meet people who are very generous and so part of your journey is to give back too. And, and so that, that was really inspiring for me, just how much time he was willing to give to this no name person just out of college. All right. So you finish up the Pixar internship and you gain valuable experience. You gain a mentor. So what was your plan of attack? How are you going to then go forth and become this great story artist? So after the, um, sort of my time with Mark ended, I, he just sort of teach, taught me his ways, all the things he knew. He suggested books for me to read, movies to watch, and exercises, drawing exercises to do. And towards the end of this semester, working with him, I just, I created an animatic, my first story reel animatic. And that's locked away privately on YouTube. <laughs> that uh, hidden from the world because I'm embarrassed about it. But But I was very proud, the fact that... <laughs> I'm sure it's not as bad as you think it is. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm sure it's, it's, but it's still, it's, you know, my first thing that I was very proud that I finished something. And so after that, towards the end, I realized that one, I needed to get a job because I was graduating college and I saw that there is an internship for story artists at Pixar. And Mark suggested that I look into, or he actually introduced me to some of the intern story interns who got accepted and, and so I, I was interested in applying for that. And Mark also, uh, he, he suggested different art schools to potentially go to after my undergrad degree to just like get better at drawing and have a more structured way of learning art and animation. But before that, I, I applied to the story internship thinking, oh, you know, I, I have this internship under my belt with Pixar University. I have connections. Of course, I'll be a shoe in And I was rejected immediately. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> yeah. And so I realized after, you know, not getting the internship that I really needed to work on my skills. I needed to draw. I need to just get better at my craft. And, and there was just a whole lot ahead of me that I needed to learn about filmmaking and storytelling and the whole industry of animation. So that's when I decided to find different internships out there at startups. This was a time where it wasn't there's, there were more like TV series, like animated TV series startups still in San Francisco. So I worked on a couple of internship independent studio projects around the city then that summer after graduating. And talking to some of the people at these studios, they suggested Academy of Art University. And that appealed to me because one, it was in San Francisco where I was already living and you know, I already, and I also met people who went there. And so I applied for Academy of Art and got in and decided to pursue the visual development program there. Cause I figured that was more closely related to animation than say illustration 
program. So I did that and went there for two years and then got a job at a game studio <laughs> and decided that I wanted to get more experience directly working in drawing and getting paid doing that rather than finishing my studies at Academy. But the important part was to start going to school to learn more like what I needed to get good at and drawing and, and also meeting people who were also interested in animation. So how did you know that you were ready to make the jump to go from being in school for two years and then deciding, you know, I'm actually ready to go ahead and start working? Uh, I didn't know that at all at first. I, I had planned on finishing up school, but it came as sort of like a, a just a very random opportunity, but through a friend, who Adam Dix, who's now working down in LA in animation, he was a, a fellow student, a peer of mine, and he got a job offer at a game studio, a social game startup in downtown San Francisco. And after he got the job, he uh, the studio was still looking for another artist and he recommended me. And this was at the end of the second year, uh, before just before the summer started. And I was really starting to get nervous about finding work over the summer because I wouldn't be able to, to work during school, uh, at the school, I should say. So I needed to, I, and I was hungering to get experience and also get paid for drawing. And so I was actually pretty scared around that time. And the future in my own head was starting to look pretty bleak, like, oh no, you know, I'm paying all this money and I'm looking online for jobs as illustrator, character designer, storyboard artist, and I'm finding nothing or the things I'm applying to aren't getting back to me. And I wasn't exactly the most proactive about using the school's resources to find career opportunities. I was just looking online. And so it came pretty serendipitously that my, uh, that Adam had this job opportunity for me. And so I took it and I was initially, and even during the interview at this game studio, I was initially just planning to work part-time and then continue going back to school or at least work for a few months, get some money, go back to school and then have my sights back on getting into Pixar or Disney or animation, some animation studio. But after those three months, uh, I loved what I was doing and I realized, you know what? I'm getting paid pretty decently and I'm learning a ton on the job. And so I, I decided that for me at that point in my life and in my career, I, I think I thought it was more important to just continue learning, working in the field and also to start paying back student loans because I was completely uh, paying for the tuition myself. And, but I, I still, in the back of my mind, kept having you know the goal of like, okay, I'll go back to academy and finish my my degree, my master's degree, basically. And one and one year led into the next, and eventually, I, I sort of just let that slip. <laughs> and and you know, I basically, I guess this. <laughs> After all, you realize I've been here. Yeah, maybe subconsciously decided that I, I think, not that I didn't need to go to school anymore, but that I was more interested in what I could learn working. Because one of the things that, you know, you don't get taught in school is working in a pipeline with a boss and with deadlines, uh, money-driven deadlines, 
and, you know, production releases and working with people who aren't artists and working in a team of completely different people and learning how to communicate like that. And so I think that also just, it took so much time and investment for me that I decided to just commit to that going forward instead of going back to school. And, you know, sometimes I wondered, like, if I went back to school, I probably would have finished a project that is still kind of clunking around in my head. I was working on my thesis projects before I started working at this game studio. And I still think about that every now and then. You could keep working on it now if you wanted to. If you, I don't know how much free time you have considering your, you know, full-time professional life is working on films, but you know, maybe you could go back to it. Yeah, I, I could. I still could. And I, every now and then I dabble back in that, but I think what was helpful with school is that you were forced to do it. <laughs> you had to do it to graduate. So I'm I'm working towards finding a structure that would force me to do it. Like one thing that's helpful is is having a producer to kind of crack the whip at you or setting yourself deadlines and having these little mini milestones that school does that for you automatically. That is true. That's actually the reason I chose to go to art school. I had spent a couple of years taking private art classes and practicing on my own. And I realized I just needed dedicated time and actual deadlines that meant something. Right. And also being surrounded by, I mean, one of the biggest things I loved about art school was, was just being around other students that were just as passionate and have completely different backgrounds and different tastes. So you could be free to experiment and bounce off of each other and grow from each other's, uh, learning from each other's different styles, which once you work in a studio, I, I think it tends to get a little bit more pigeonholed because you 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 have to work towards a product, finishing a product, and then usually that has a, a specific style that you have to work within. So it's a little bit more limiting. But yeah, school is, school is great for just the structure and, and forcing myself to get stuff done and forcing myself to learn. I haven't stopped learning since then, but it's it's definitely, in school, it was definitely more open and dynamic. So the whole time you're working at the gaming studios, were you applying for storyboard or storyboard positions at Pixar and Disney and DreamWorks and Nickelodeon and the other studios as well? Or was your focus solely, I want to stay at this game studio, I really like it, this is working out great? So I actually, when I was working at the studio, I, a game studio, I was pretty happy. Like I loved what I was working on. I was learning how to animate and flash. And I loved the people I worked with. We were a pretty small studio in downtown San Francisco and it was a great culture there. And, um, and there was just really fun, creative challenges I got to do. And I got to wear a lot of different hats, like from character designing to background, environment design, painting to animation. And I got to touch all all these different parts, aspects of the pipeline. So, and before working at the game studio, actually, towards the end of my second year, I I had applied to Pixar's art internship because at that point I was more focused on character design and visual development. So I had geared my portfolio towards that. And I actually, they had called me to tell me that I was sort of in the runner up position for one of the internship spots. And then 
they finally said that they had canceled the internship program for that year for art. And I was so <laughs> crestfallen <laughs> to know that I was so close yet didn't get the just opportunity wasn't there anymore that the ship for Pixar had almost sailed. I kind of just gave up on that. And then when I got this job at the game studio and was really happy and learning a lot, I actually had almost started to think, you know what, I think it'd be okay if I stayed in games. And that was, I, I worked at this studio for about two years. And which studio was this? It was called Wonder Hill at the time. And it was a smaller sort of startup within one of these umbrella startup organizations. So the, the company I worked for was called, the bigger company was called Uga Labs. And so there were other projects that were completely unrelated to games within the same startup. In other words, there's like a medical journal website that they were developing. And then there was, I forget some of the other ones, but yeah, the, the game startup was called Wonder Hill specifically. And that was just one of the many projects under this, what they call a startup incubator. And then eventually Wonder Hill got bought out by Kabam, which is a bigger uh, social game company. And how long were you at Kabam? I think probably half a year or a year. No, half a year, I think. So and I started at Pixar in 2011. So I was, I was working at Wonder Hill, which eventually turned into a Kabam, from 2009 to 2011. All right. So it sounds like, so you're at Wonder Hill and then Kabam, feeling like, you know, games are all right. I enjoy them. This is my thing. So what happened? What was the change that then led you to being able to go to Pixar? So uh, several things. The biggest thing being that a friend of mine who was an animator at Pixar, Everett Downing, he had a, another friend who was also working at Pixar, Emma Coates. She's a story, she was a story artist there, and she was doing films, shooting a live-action film as a personal side film project at Pixar. And she was going through Pixar University, getting resources and support. And she was looking for a lead female character role. And uh, so Everett, our mutual friend, asked me if I would be interested in auditioning for the role. And I said, oh, sure, why not? It'd be fun to do. <laughs> and I auditioned and I got the part. And so I, I, I acted in the short film, which was a blast. It was so much fun over the summer. I think this was in 2010. Yeah, summer of 2010 and spring as well. And she, I would draw on set in between shoots. And she saw me drawing and, and knew that I worked in, at a game studio and loved character design and stuff like that. And she sort of fished out of me that I also, at some point, once upon a time, was interested in storyboarding. But I had given up on that a while ago because I figured, you know, it's probably much harder for me to get a job at storyboarding, especially at Pixar than it is to continue character designing, environment, doing visual development and games. Were you still in contact with Mark and sending him your artwork and getting mentored by him too? Uh, at the time, I sort of, I think I, I sort of just, I wasn't keeping up with him as much. Every now and then I'd shoot an email or we'd run into each other, but definitely not as consistently, consistently as it used to be. Also because I, I just had sort of shifted my focus from storyboarding to visual development. So I, I just didn't reach out to him as much for that reason. And 
so Emma, she saw that I, I used to want to go into storyboarding and I still had that flame in me. I still wanted to storyboard, but I just didn't think that that was an option for me. But she pushed me. She said, hey, there's an opening at Pixar for a story position full time. Do you want to apply for it? I said, of course, but there's probably a snowball, snowball's chance of hell of me getting that. And because <laughs> I knew, you know, I, I knew the story artists that did work there. And I knew of all the people that went to CalArts and all these other art schools that Pixar tended to hire from. And me working in gaming, I didn't think that I, I mean, I didn't have a portfolio for storyboarding. So I didn't believe in myself for that. And so she pushed me really hard. She cracked the whip at me and, and forced me to do exercises, storyboarding exercises, and basically create a portfolio in two weeks <laughs> during the Thanksgiving break and over my birthday. <laughs> and she said, okay, here's the deadline. Send in a portfolio. And I had nothing. I had maybe a couple of storyboard exercises that she had me do. So I had to create a stories from scratch, boards from scratch in two weeks, which I think ended up helping me because I, I didn't have time to noodle the drawings. I just had to crank shit out, which is actually what the job is most of the time. <laughs> and so I, I, I submitted my portfolio and, and I got the interview in November 2010 that year. But she, Emma was a huge, huge force in that. She has a huge role in that. Because like I said earlier, you know, was, you meet people along the way who, who almost like, you know, hero's journey that's sort of like the right time at the right place that are kind of serve as mentors and, and people to push you to the to get you to that next level in your life that you need to be at that's great and i've met emma before she's really cool and she's also of the uh 22 rules of storytelling fame that is constantly circling around the internet so that's really great that she was the one to tell you you can do this go for it yeah i I'm so grateful forever to her <laughs> for this. And, you know, I think she also saw the need for more female storytellers, not just at Pixar, but in animation. And, and I think knowing that I wanted to tell stories, like she just saw that I needed to, I, I think she just saw that I, I could be, have more potential by working at Pixar doing that. Yeah, it's great that she did that for me. So. Yeah. Thank you, Emma. <laughs> also, that's inspiring to anybody who's putting together a portfolio. Rosie put together a portfolio in two weeks. It can happen. If you're wondering, you know, I have this much time. Can I do it? You can. It is possible. Though there is, I have to say, millions of years of drawing mileage went into that. Like, I think if I had done the same thing five years before, which I actually did do, I did try to slap together a portfolio for the story internship when I had first graduated college, I don't think I would have been successful. And therefore I wasn't successful the first time around. So I think you keep trying over and over again, you keep putting portfolios together and then eventually there just will be the right time and the right place. And your skills will happen to be also at that right level for that opportunity to happen. And you were working on a Sweet Pea. That was the name of her film, right? Actually, uh, I worked on a film before that called Horizon. Oh. And oh, okay. So that was a film I, I acted in for her. And Sweet Pea was uh, her second film after that. And I, I helped her with that by uh, posing as a, a sort of like an anonymous actor or character in a Kickstarter trailer 
or teaser. So I just stood there with like a cowgirl, cowboy outfit and a gun in some field. (laughs) (laughs) And that was my extent of involvement on Sweet Pea. (laughs) All right. Well, what was your role then in Horizon? I was the female protagonist in the short. So there's like a male lead. So it was two two lead characters. And and so I I just, I was a, a actor in that playing um, this role. Oh gosh, it's been so long for me now. <laughs> I don't remember the name of the character I played, but it's basically like a um, post-apocalyptic steampunk-ish sort of war short <laughs> where I played like a rebel basically in this sort of rebel ragtag group of nomads or people who just lived off the land and they were being invaded by these sky pirates Ooh. that came from another place that had zeppelins and my characters like so I'm a sniper basically in this short in the short and the story starts with my little village being invaded by these sky pirates who are just pillaging all of our supplies and stuff and most of the pirates get killed off except for one who gets injured and he's taken as hostage and my character's role is to guard him and get information out of him while he's being taken hostage and over the course of the short, a relation, basically a, a f- kind of a friendship, not really a friendship, sorry, but we reach an understanding, more of an understanding about each other towards the end by playing games, of, uh, this game of chess between each other as I'm trying to interrogate him, getting information about it. And he's basically, we both see each other as enemies at first. And then as we open up to each other, I realize that he's not as evil as he seems. And then by the end, I help him escape and get him picked up by his Sky Pirate Zeppelin people. <laughs> so that's a story about Sounds empathy. fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> Have you really ever acted in anything around. before? No, no. I mean, I was in a couple of high school plays, but never like a lead role. <laughs> Add that to your, to your list of talent. So you apply to the job, you go through the interview process, getting to talk with everyone, showing them your stuff. And then you get hired. Uh, yes, after about half a year of anxiously waiting and not hearing any, anything. Oh my gosh, half a year? Yeah, or maybe like a few months actually. But, but yeah, I think it was in, so I got interviewed in, in November. And it was it was a pretty all day interview where I just talked to basically all the different supervisors and a bunch of different story artists, story supervisors on different pro- projects. And kind of just like showing them my sketchbook and talking about, you know, my taste in film and and asking them questions. And I think there was just trying to gauge my personality and and my sensibilities. And yeah, I think I heard back from them in February (laughs) and that I would get hired on in April or that I would start the job in April. And is that typical for that type of waiting period or were they looking into different things and trying to figure out staffing and had other things going on at the time? Do you know? Yes to all of the above. (laughs) I I think they were also looking at other candidates too. Like I I had heard from Emma that I was in the running, the final running, but I'm sure there were other probably 10 times stronger candidates that were being interviewed and looked at too. So I'm guessing they were trying to cover all their bases, just really because, you know, hiring someone for a full-time story position, not just the internship, but I was bypassing 
the internship, having absolutely no film experience at that point. And so I think they're really trying to see who the best candidate would be. And also, I'm sure they're looking into the timing, like which productions needed a story artist first. And what was it that you feel about your portfolio and what you brought to the table that enabled them to see, yes, Rosie is the person that we want to bring on? I think probably my draftsman skips, draftsmanship skills was uh, something that stood out to them. And, and that, like, I, you know, I years and years and basically my whole life of drawing and, and working really hard at getting better at it, but also that they could see certain style or element of storytelling that was pretty unique to me. So I guess I had developed more of my voice by this point. So in my portfolio, I, I had put in things more personal to me and, and things that would interest me more rather than like what I think Pixar would want to see. And because I had more of a, my own personal voice showing in my portfolio that that had interested them. And so I, you know, I, I put in more quirky and charming character stuff but I also put in a bigger range of like, you know, more dramatic cinematic stuff, some gag stuff, just showing like the range of how I think in terms of coming up with ideas to fleshing out a sequence or a scene more cinematically. And so I tried to make sure my portfolio had that range, but also was concise enough to feel like it wasn't a chore to look through it. Like it had a almost like a shape to it. Like I started off with my strongest work and then towards the middle, sort of the, my thinking process, which involved like rougher thumbnail sketches. And then I think that the end of my portfolio didn't necessarily show storyboards, but more like character explorations. That's good. That's really good to know. And that's, I like, especially what you said too, about finding your own voice and creating work that you genuinely liked and that you felt was a part of you rather than trying to figure out what is the Pixar formula and what do they want to see and how can I completely replicate what they've already been doing? Right. Like how can I fit into this square shaped hole <laughs> sort of thing rather than just being my own shape? Yeah, that that was something that um, I had to learn over time too, because finding your voice is, is hard. It means not being afraid to just explore the things that you like to do and sharing that with people. That is excellent advice and just excellent advice for life too, not just for storyboarding, but just be your own person. Yeah. <laughs> find yourself. Find yourself. So then you did find yourself at the studio and that's where I know the fun really began, because as you have said before, you got there and you were excited, but there were times where you've also felt kind of intimidated just by the sheer artistry of the place. So how have you been able to overcome that? And when did you truly feel like, you know what, I am here and I do belong here and this is where I want to be? So uh, that feeling of I, I I belong here came about four years after I started <laughs> working here. <laughs> Up until then, it's been a series of existential crises and self doubts and insecurities. Oh <laughs> but you know that even preceded Pixar. But <laughs> yeah, it's everyone goes through the same thing because working here, you are surrounded by people who are extremely talented, extremely brilliant, and driven, and it's overwhelming. The, the amount of knowledge and talent and artistry here. And I think what really helped kind of 
help me find my confidence and the the ground under my feet was just walking over the coals, you know, going through trial by fire and, and never giving up, even though there are times like every other week I thought they were going to realize, oh, wait, maybe we made a mistake hiring her. Oh, no. <laughs> we hired the wrong person. And they um, would come into your office and say, you know what? We're really sorry, but we just realized we meant to hire them over there. You have to clear yeah, everything. Exactly. And so that was constantly on my mind. And a lot of people were telling me I was crazy and neurotic for thinking that way. And, but also, you know, there was a lot of tough love too, where I did need to improve to pull my own weight. Because I was new, I was green. So it was constantly between this crazy balance of I need to push myself and get better and catch up in a way in my own, I guess, pacing, time management skills and filmmaking knowledge. I needed to catch up with people who are veterans here or just people who are just naturally extremely talented at storyboarding. And I was balanced between that, needing to push myself and being realistic about my own skills and also learning to be confident in myself and continue developing and trusting that voice of mine and believing that, you know what, I am here. They did hire me. Sure, they could have hired a billion more talented people out there, but you know what? They're stuck with me. So <laughs> they're gonna have to deal with that. And I'm also gonna have to realize that I do have a unique voice to offer and no one else, there's no other Rosie Sullivan out there in the world. So I'm going to have to own that. So there's always that balance between the two of like being confident with myself, but also being aware of my, uh, what I need to work on. How did you practice so that you could improve on the artistic side? What were some of the steps that you took to improve your skills? Range from studying artists. So, you know, the artists whose styles really appeal to me which ranged from anime, Japanese character designers for animes or video games, like from Squaresoft games, like all the Final Fantasy stuff. In fact, I did a lot of fan art when I was in high school and college. And I think just my, my natural love of doing that and nerding out over the whatever anime or game I was obsessed with at the time just kind of forced me to get better. And so just, you know, studying other artists who I admired, studying their techniques, trying to draw like them, and therefore understanding why they made different drawing decisions and how they were able to draw something a certain way, to just simply asking for feedback. I know a lot, of, that's probably the hardest thing to do is actually show your work and all of its imperfections and ask people for critical feedback and asking them how, what they think could improve. I learned to get over that fear eventually and, and be shameless about it. So I would ask other artists who, who I had access to and that I really admired their work. I asked them to look at my portfolio. And one of, you know, one of the first people that did that was Mark Andrews, actually. He, he sort of shook that fear out of me and, and, <laughs> and, and just said, you know what, just show me your work. It doesn't matter how rough it is, just show it. And and so he just trained me to not be afraid to do that and and just being consistent about that, seeking out advice, whether from people directly or online, going onto forums and posting my work and getting exposure. And it became this self-fulfilling, self-feeding feedback loop where the more feedback I got, the more encouraged or motivated I was to improve myself. And it was hard to know that I wasn't where I wanted to be. 
but I also use that as my carrot at the end of the strings. Like I, I knew that I could with work and time and hard, just dedication to improving myself that eventually I would get to where I needed to be. And I also would take drawings that I liked that I had done, like some aspect of it that I thought seemed to be an improvement. And I would just look at that and compare it to my older drawings. So I would constantly look at my work over time, like whether it was on my blog or my deviant art accounts back when I was in college and high school and just really try to analyze like, huh, did I get better? And why is that? And how could I continue to improve? I hope that makes sense. <laughs> that makes perfect sense. And that analysis is really good because I think sometimes people are afraid to look back on what they've done before right? and to compare it to what they're doing now. And I think also sometimes people, they're really happy when a drawing looks really good, but sometimes they may not take have take that next critical step and go, okay, but why does this work? What specifically about this is working so that I can replicate this for the next sequence or the next drawing or painting or whatever type of art project I'm working on? And or why is that person able to draw this thing so seemingly easily? And let me study his or her ways of drawing and sort of absorb other artists' techniques. And it sounds like, too, just your analysis of it and getting feedback, it sounds like that is also what helped you develop more confidence. Just being able to say, you know what, I'm going to show this to Mark or to whoever's on the team or online and just just be okay with it. And whatever critique I can glean from it, I'm just going to work that out. Right. Yeah. And it, it takes, it does take confidence not in the sense of like, yeah, I'm so awesome confidence, but more like a, you know what? I trust that what their feedback is, is not personal. They're not saying I'm the worst person in the universe <laughs> by saying I could improve. And just being confident and your ability to understand what they're getting at, like the spirit of their feedback. Yeah, that takes bravery. It takes confidence and ability to put your ego aside. Sounds like an inner peace type of thing, you know, be able to be at peace with wherever you're at, but also know that you can improve. Exactly. Yeah. Or if, if not peace, just more like the hunger to improve outweighs your insecurities at the moment. Okay. <laughs> I, I wish I had inner peace while I was trying. To improve. I think that's something everybody strives for, though. And I don't think it's something that it's not a thing of where you go, okay, I have now like I've never met any artist, even artists that have been painting or drawing or doing sculpture for 50 or 60 years. I've never met a single person who has ever told me. And then one day I arrived and yeah. I knew that I was an artiste <laughs> and I have reached the pinnacle. No one says that. No one, even the best artists that I've ever met, there's always that little bit inside them going, I still want to improve. I'm still not quite where I want to be. Right. Yeah. Because... I mean, if you stay stagnant, if you, because if you think about it, like even if you do think that your skills are at the best they will ever be, you're like, you know what? I'm better than, I can draw circles around everyone around me. Sort of that kind of what some would call arrogance, others would call confidence. You're still, the, the, there's still a huge danger of getting stuck and becoming stagnant and you become 
like a one trick pony. And I've seen that happen to artists where I've admired people's work and always thinking, oh, I wish I could draw like them. And then eventually, you know, I, I improve my skills to a point where I'm like, oh man, I, I can finally draw something and not uh, hate myself after drawing it. And then I start, I look back at the artist's work and I'm like, wait, they're still drawing like that way five years ago. And I'm starting to see the flaws in their work and, and understand what works and what doesn't work. Whereas before the five years beforehand, when I was admiring them, I couldn't see those technical things or, or, you know, I, I just sort of worshiped the work without really being able to analyze it. And with artists who feel content or satisfied and don't feel, I feel, don't feel the need to constantly push themselves or evolve. I think they're probably going to be missing out a lot on what's so beautiful about this creative journey. You know, I heard once that if you're the best and that much better than everyone around you, then you need to find other people to be around because you're not going to improve if you're at the very top, but everyone else is at not quite that level. I mean, that, like you said, that can definitely boost your ego, but you're not going to improve as an artist. You need to seek out other people that know more than you do and learn from them. Right. Yeah. And, you know, eventually there will come a time where you realize, so that there's the point, I think, in every artist's personal path, especially in animation, where you have to constantly be seeking to surround yourself with people who will push you, will challenge you. And I, I try to do that a lot without being like, I will only hang out with people who are better than me. You know, there's always no, I don't mean, something. I don't mean it like in a social way, but I mean it more no, know, like yeah. if you want to like, and just improve like professionally or like in an artistic way, it's good to meet other artists and to see what other people are doing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, you want to constantly, you kind of want to feel uncomfortable <laughs> when <laughs> around the, the other professionals, you, you want to be like, Oh God, they're, they're so good. <laughs> uh, so that you push yourself, but, mm -hmm. but eventually there can't, comes a point where you realize you can't technically be the same as everyone else. Even if like this guy may draw such and such better, or this girl may come up with gags better. So it, there comes a point where you, you realize everyone has their own special strengths and you can improve on the, those aspects of the strengths that they have for yourself. Say, if I want to get better at, at comedy, I can, I can study someone, how they, their timing and how they draw expressions that are really funny. But then there comes a point where I realize I have to work on my own technique. And, and that's part of the finding your voice is like finding your own style. And that's when you were, you don't worry as much about, constantly surrounding yourself with professionals who are much, much better for you. That's when you start to focus more inward and say, you know what, I've, I'm going to go on this path with my, with my style and, and stop focusing on, on others, how they do things. You'll still like be aware of like what other people do really well, but you start to shift your focus more on personal work. And that's what everything's about. Mm -hmm. So getting then into being at the studio, was The Good Dinosaur the first project that they put you on? Or were you working on something previous to that? Technically, I, I was hired on to Monsters University. And I was on that for a month. And I didn't actually work on the story, the main story of the film. They, were, they had me doing sort of like training exercises using the characters. But nevertheless, 
sort of learning the ropes of the software that I would be using to storyboard and also sort of learning how to pitch to a director in front of a team and just getting comfortable with settling into the studio. So that was about for a month. I still got a credit for it, even though I didn't work on the film. <laughs> but after that, they actually put me into the storyboard internship because even though I was hired full time, I was super green. I didn't have any film experience. So they decided it'd be best if I joined the other interns, which was the best, one of the best things. One of my favorite parts of working at Pixar was that time because it was so fun working with other people who were learning just like you and working on the assignments and exercises together each week, pitching to all the, the mentors, the other storyboard artists who were already there full time and had a lot of experience and would give us feedback every week. And we also did not work on computers, which was another fun part. We did it the old school way, which was drawing on story paper and pinning that up on the board and pitching with a stick. And then after that, after those three months of the internship, I finally uh, got pulled onto The Good Dinosaur. And so what was that experience like? Because I know that you were on it for, was it four years, correct? More or less, almost four years, like maybe. So I started in August 2011 and wrapped, August 2011 on The Good Dinosaur and then wrapped um, April 2015 this year. Right. Or last year. <laughs> and you were on it too when uh, Bob Peterson was the original director. Right. So what was that experience like being on the movie and then when they, you know, temporarily stopped the movie and then brought Pete Sohn on to direct the movie and change all of that up? Like, what was that process like going through that, having that be your very first storyboard job? <laughs> it was like... Well, so first of all, Pete Sohn was there all the whole way long. He was just co-director before supporting Bob. Mm -hmm. um, so they just, when Bob stepped off the film, they changed Pete's role from co-director to final director. And what it was like the whole way through is there's so many, so many different ways to describe it, but it's, it's kind of like, gosh, I guess it's kind of like being in a family that goes through a divorce and, but still stays together. And, and starting off in that family is very young and then ending the family with, with graduating high school and going off to college and moving out away from that family. <laughs> and you learn so much about yourself during the ups and downs of it. And I don't know, it's, it's so hard to explain everything about it in words, you know, it's just a short amount of time because it felt like going through college <laughs> over and over again, where... I started off very green and insecure and learning and feeling everything <laughs> all the time and being very stressed out all the time for initially because I just didn't feel like I was good enough. And, and that kind of got in the way of me feeling very comfortable with the team and the project and my own abilities at first. And then over time, I started to get a little bit, I get, started to gain more trust from the directors and they started to give me more work as that my skills and storytelling ideas improved. And eventually, you know, with all the, the rockiness that happened um, with the transition and that happened with the studio, I, I sort of almost felt like <laughs> sort of like a phoenix rising out of the ashes. Like, you know what, <laughs> if, this is the, if this is the worst that could happen, then I think I can, I can survive the rest of this film. And I did. When the reboot of the film happened in 2000, 
2013, I was brought on at the beginning of 2014, basically when the movie was started from scratch again. And I had already seen iterations of this film with a completely different premise uh, for two years beforehand. And yeah, it felt like I was reincarnated, like coming back as Gandalf the White or something, you know, <laughs> it was like I, I went through the depths of, of the Balrog, whatever, and then came out and, and was a little wiser and a little bit more uh, salty, <laughs> a little more, a little less naive, and, and but still just as passionate about this thing. And it, it was hard at first because, you know, you come on with all this baggage of of working on this film. And, and so you, you, I was a little tentative at first. And then I learned to love every step of the process. And, you know, every step was also really hard. There were points where making the story and trying to make it uh, find ways to tell it that would be entertaining. There were ways where we kind of got a little lost as a story team. And, but every step of that way was so rewarding because I learned I was always learning. I was learning about myself, always learning about the decisions that the director made or that other story artists were making with their sequences. And that's why I say it was like college is, is that I had so much fun just learning. Even if I didn't always succeed every time I pitched a sequence, I did succeed in improving and progressing and gaining more confidence each step of the way. So that by the end of the film, or by the end of my role on the film, I should say, because the film was still being made after I was taken off. The whole story team was wrapped at the same time. I must say that it was probably, I, I wouldn't have changed anything about my experience on it. So by the end, I, I was very happy with what I experienced. Yeah, so <laughs> that's, that's sort of my summary of, of the whole thing. But I feel like if, if I wanted to get more specific, we would have to have several episodes of the podcast. We would just have the, the rosy Angela... The Good Dinosaur Hour Good dinosaur podcast breakdown. every week. Then, <laughs> breakdown of uh, what's going on. No, but that's... So I'd probably have to check with publicity first. Yeah, I was going to say, you, you'd have to ask and make sure, though, about, you know, what you could talk about and not, but... Yeah. But that's yeah, good it was, it was It was eye-opening, though, to go through a whole film um, it's for that period of time. Because I think most story artists, they, they tend to not be on a film for that long. Maybe like two or three years max, but because I was on it through so many iterations and seeing so many versions of it. Like, I, I think it was really good for me to see that. And also really good to have serious doubts and question myself and question my love of the medium still be seeing how, how difficult it can be. <laughs> it just sort of reaffirmed my love for this craft and my love for the studio and, and the people working here because I think it's a miracle that any film ever gets made. I guess love of filmmaking in general, because I, I see how hard it is for these things to even get completed. That is true. And it's something it's good for artists to know about because it's something that it happens at every studio. You know, you yeah. have a film and it changes and sometimes the directors change and sometimes the story stops and sometimes the entire movie is scrapped you know, that hap yep. that's happened at Disney, it's happened at DreamWorks, happens at Pixar, Pixar it happens at yeah. all the major studios. And so, yeah. you know, it's something to go into and not with a sense of fear, but just to know, you know, things might change and to just be aware of the change and, you know, to be ready to work with your team, no matter what the changes might be. It's a very Zen process. <laughs> it sounds like it. And it sounds like you emerged 
with a lot of knowledge and just a lot of wisdom coming out of that type of situation and becoming a better artist for it. And then having the movie and the movie, I mean, it's a beautiful movie. You can tell just watching it, just the amount of work and time that went into it. Yeah, there's so many amazing people that worked on this film. I feel very humbled to have been in the same project with so many of them. (laughs) But yeah, it's it's really, I think for me, I, I know there are people who work on films, like you said, that have been canceled or didn't turn out the way everyone wanted it to be. And I've seen people be kind of broken by that or be disillusioned to the point of not wanting to either work at the studio anymore or work on feature film. You know, there are people who still continue on, but I think for me, it just reduced all of my, my experiences down to what is the most important thing? Why am I still, why am I doing this at the end of the day? Why did I go away from my path as a a veterinarian? to doing animation in a lot of people's eyes, kids cartoons. Most people in the world don't realize how much craft and artistry and sophistication and hard work goes into these things. And they just see it as, Oh, it's another kid's cartoon, you know? And so at the end of the day, I, and at the end of this whole project experience, and I'll continue hopefully feeling this way is that what's most important is that I'm doing this because I love it. And that there's infinite room for me to grow as an artist in this, and this is the best medium or environment to do that is to do filmmaking, whether it's on long animated form or doing personal shorts or acting in someone's short and in a weird, funny way, like going through the worst of it made me love it even more. (laughs) Some people might call it messy. Well, like you were saying before, it is like the hero's journey. Yeah. You know, it's like you're starting off, you had your mentors, you had your setbacks, you know, you went to the underworld and you came back with the reward and out came you in this film. And I mean, you truly did the whole Joseph Campbell arc. Yeah, exactly. And I even read Joseph Campbell's book while working on this film. Hey, there you, <laughs> see, there you go. Exactly. And that's why this movie was so close to me and dear to me is because, you know, Arlo is going through a very basic hero's journey tale where he overcomes his weaknesses and comes out stronger in the end, gets over his fear. And, you know, I related very much to this and everyone that worked on this film related very much to the story. So you could see it almost as like a meta story of the artist's journey. You know, you start off new and green and and insecure, and then you get stronger and more confident as you tumble and fall along the way, but you, you also make great strides and find meaning in the end. And not everyone survives that or not everyone continues that journey. And I'm very happy and proud to work on this movie because of that and because of my close connection to it. But I know that it's, I could potentially work on other movies that may not be as rewarding or maybe even be more rewarding. So I'm hoping to keep an open mind and stay just as passionate and hungry as I, as I feel now. I believe you will. If everything that you've said up to this point, I have no doubt that that passion is going to continue. And I'm I'm curious too, since you had the opportunity to see so many iterations of the film, what's your favorite scene in the film that you worked on where when you watch the film now, you're just beaming with pride to be able to see it on screen? I'd say in the middle of the movie or more after the middle 
when Arlo starts to gain more confidence and he and Spot's relationship are closer than ever and they're running along the river and run through a flock of birds chasing up the birds and it's just this like really beautiful scene in the movie that they did such a great job all the animators and lighting td uh, layout everyone the music the film uh, score composers director everything editors uh, it's such a beautiful scene that when i was boarding it pete really just wanted to capture the feeling the feeling of joy and of finally having confidence in yourself of finally worth after struggling so much that you know the sun is starting to peek through the clouds and and you see the silver lining and and spot and, and arlo are just running through this flock of birds along the river and end up running up this hill poking their head up through the clouds to watch this beautiful sunset and it's just like a, the probably the rawest expression of beauty and and joy and it's funny actually i'm thinking now of glenn keen when he came to talk at pixar once at least the one time i saw him do it i think someone asked him about when he boarded and animated on the little mermaid when he boarded the scene part of your world where she's singing and at first that that scene was actually debated by the executives they were thinking of cutting that out i'm sure this is before they saw the whole thing put together but um, when he was talking about it he this is one of my favorite scenes in all of animation too it was always near and dear to my heart and glenn was talking about how when he boarded this and animated it it was almost like he was reaching out to god <laughs> like ariel was reaching you know through the hole as she's singing and yearning to be a part of the human world when he drew that he it was his way of singing and and i guess a tribute to his connection to god and you know he's raised christian and and in a way when i was boarding this scene i'm not trying to compare the two scenes because the glenn is amazing and and you know i i was just doing this scene for the first time so definitely not comparing them in quality but when i was boarding this scene with arlo and, and spot running through this beautiful landscape and just being very like joyful. That was in a way my, my spiritual connection to the movies coming to its highest point. I think for me, in my artist journey, like it's very important to not just get better at drawing and storytelling craft, but also to find a deeper meaning of what is this all for and why, why am I, why is art important? And to me, that's the spiritual side of it or the mythical side for a lot of people or the emotional side. But I think this scene was the closest to me experiencing that on the movie. And that's why I think it's my favorite scene. That's a beautiful analogy. Just not only expressing why you enjoyed the scene, but also just why we create art and why you enjoy creating art and what it can do for people. I feel like yeah. as artists, that's that's all we're trying to do is just communicate how we're feeling and what we're thinking about the world and just seeking out ways to express that for others but also finding a deeper connection to something just beyond, you know, our, our natural world, but mm -hmm. something more eternal, which Glenn explained very beautifully when he was talking about that. And I think for the, the scenes that are most resonant to me in films and animated films, it's, it's stuff like that where it points to something deeper in humans or storytelling, like a deeper uh, a spiritual dimension to us. And that's just something that comes with practice and time. I know a lot of people at school, 
that's definitely their goal. That's what they want to achieve. And sometimes when they don't quite get to that point, you know, they get really discouraged. But I think that just comes from just time, you know, not only practice, but also life experiences and just going through different things so that you have a way to articulate that and communicate that and share that with people. Yeah. Just living life and not being afraid to learn and get back up whenever you fall down, that sort of stuff. (laughs) But keeping, you know, keeping a close grasp on the deeper stuff in life or what's meaningful to you while you're constantly trying to improve yourself. Absolutely. And so now, so now Good Dinosaur is done and it's out there for the world to see. And now transitioned and you're now working over at Coco. And I won't ask you any particulars because I know that that'll be for a couple of years from now when that comes out. But if there's anything you can talk about just in terms of working on that project, I guess, and how that's, you know, how you're feeling about that. Are you able to share anything like that? I can say that I love working with Lee Unkrich and the whole team right now that I'm working with. Um, Story team is great. And Darla is a producer, Darla Anderson. Lee directed Toy Story 3 and he's been at Pixar since, I believe, A Bug's Life. Sorry if I got that wrong, Lee. It might have been Toy Story. But (laughs) (laughs) it's set in Dia de los uh, Mexico and it revolves around the holiday Dia de los Muertos. And that's as much as I can say. But (laughs) but yeah, it's, it's... such an awesome experience because it's it's so different from my time on The Good Dinosaur for on so many levels, just, you know, different people, different story, different characters, different challenges in storyboarding. And yeah, I, I love that, or I love how different it is for that reason. And, and I think working with Lee's great because I, he's such a masterful storyteller and filmmaker and I constantly getting pushed in different directions and it's great to, and I, I had the same experience on Dino too, like working with Pete Sone and, and all the other artists who are so talented on that, you know, you get pushed in different ways. And, and so I'm, Lee is great at, at doing, continuing that. That sounds good. Yes. And, and when that film comes on, we'll, we'll bring you back and then you can discuss the process of that as well. Yay. Yay. Sweet. And then also you're working on a a couple of personal projects also. Are you able to talk about any of those? Uh, Yeah, working currently on a short and a 2D short that it's codenamed Kitbull. (laughs) (laughs) But I don't want to give away too much also because I'm still figuring out the story kinks. But but I'm hoping to finish it by end of this year. And I'm, I'm also working through Pixar University program, uh, getting support from the studio and, and working with other employees and artists here at the studio, actually. It's not just be my, me by myself. I'm actually getting help from other people, which is great. So kind of getting my feet wet with making my own short film and collaborating with others and, and basically trying to direct, which is which has been fun. It's super fun. That's excellent. I'm curious too, how do you balance your time since you're you know, you're working on a film, but you're also doing a short and you're directing it and working with a team for the people out there that are also working in a studio setting or freelancing, but have their own personal dreams that they want to do. How have mm-hmm. you found that you're able to manage your time so that you can get everything done? Um, still working on that. <laughs> and I don't have always the healthiest way of going about it because whatever always takes precedent is the film, the Pixar film that I happen to be 
working on. So that'll always take number one priority because paying me to do it and I should probably finish my deadlines. <laughs> but when there is some downtime on the projects, um, I, I work outside of work on my own personal stuff. That's sort of part of the agreement that Pixar will support us, but whatever personal stuff we do, we don't do it on the company's clock, which totally makes sense. And so I guess I try to find time outside of work when I go home. I, you know, I have my own sort of working studio at home with my own tablet and computer and software, or I work on the weekends at work or at night after six o'clock, I start working on my own projects. And what usually helps me manage my time is actually having deadlines set for myself, like saying, okay, by next week, I'm going to work on this idea or flesh out this scene here. And also what helps is telling other people that so that if you don't do it, then you will be shamed. <laughs> I'll say, hey, what about that idea that you had or that goal that you promised? <laughs> Emma would be very proud. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, having external pressure definitely helps me. And, and you know, there are other people who are very good, very like naturally suited for self time management and discipline, but I know I'm not one of those people. So I need, I usually need deadlines and, and a producer to, to help keep me on track, but I have been known to work a little bit too late into the night. And <laughs> that's not very sustainable. If you have a full-time job and a relationship and you want to see your friends and family. <laughs> so um, still working on that aspect of it. And what also helps with time management is just letting go of trying to make good drawings and just focusing more on executing like, okay, is this idea clear? And just sort of working in layers instead of trying to make a finished product to the first, or, you know, a finished, beautiful short first time around, do like a really rough pass uh, as quickly as possible, show it to people, get feedback, and then keep iterating on that until you finally get to a point where your story is solid then you can start polishing. So just making sure that everything's working. Otherwise right. you have something very, very pretty, but then it doesn't work and you have to start from scratch. Exactly. So figuring out what you're trying to say and how you plan on saying it before you start trying to pick the fancy words to say it with. <laughs> that is beautiful. That is, that is just great. And with that, I just want to say thank you so much, Rosie. You have been oh, yeah. so generous with your time, and it's always a pleasure talking with you. You have been a very yeah. great friend and mentor to me as well, and I know that you've helped out a great Aww. many people out there. Thank you, Angela. And seriously, this is awesome, and I, I hope this podcast is listened to by a lot of people because it's great that you're reaching out and interviewing artists, especially like artists that aren't on the radar you know, out there. So thank you for doing this. That's uh, the goal. There are a lot of very talented people out there and I, I want them to get the recognition they deserve. And I also just want people that, you know, for fans of animation and for people that want to be a part of the industry and they're, you know, they're struggling and they're striving, you can make it. It yes. will take time, but it is definitely something that is achievable with hard work and time and practice. It, it, it is possible. Yes. Any other parting words you would like to leave for our listening audience? I guess my parting words is to constantly try to bring your voice to the table um, in whatever form or way that may be. And, and don't think that Pixar or Disney or Blue Sky or DreamWorks are the only 
channels for that. I've been, some of my biggest inspirations have been from small independent shorts that I have found in random dark corners of the internet. (laughs) And you never know what your work, who your work will be influencing. So just keep creating and putting yourself out there and, and contribute your, your voice to the world. That's it. (laughs) Thank you so much. Oh, and where can people find you online? Where can they see your work? So I have a blog that I haven't updated in a very long time, (laughs) Uh, but that's RD as in dog, Sullivan.blogspot.com. And that has the most recent stuff, but it's once again, very outdated. And I haven't been as good of a presence on the internet with my own work, but yeah, that should be that should be it. <laughs> All right. So I'll, I'll put that in the show notes for everybody. They can check that out. And again, Rosie, thank you so much for your time. And I hope that you have you. a great evening. Yeah, you too, Angela. Yeah. Thanks again. You're welcome. And that concludes the interview with Rosanna Sullivan. Special thanks to Rosie for being a wonderful guest. Thank you so much for coming on the show. And you'll be able to check out Rosie's website in the show notes, as well as on the website, www theanimatedjourney.com. And if you've enjoyed today's episode, please leave a five-star review in iTunes. All of those reviews help more people find out about the show. Thank you to everyone who has left a lovely review so far. I really appreciate it. And special thanks this week to Chia Frock, who donated to the show. Thank you so much for your donation. And if you want to be a rock star just like them, you can also donate to the website at www.theanimatedjourney.com and click on the PayPal button on the right-hand column of the website. All of those donations go back to supporting the show. I really appreciate everyone who has donated so far. It means a lot to me. And you can also support the show by clicking on the banner ads of our affiliates. We've got Amazon, Audible, and Blueberry website hosting. Amazon, as all of you know, is your place to go to buy literally everything on the planet. Audible is where you can go to get an audiobook, and right now they're doing a 30-day free trial where you can get a free audiobook of your choice. I highly recommend The Hero's Journey, which is what we talked about in the podcast today by Joseph Campbell. It's a really good book. It outlines exactly what the title says, The Hero's Journey. So if you want to learn how to become a better writer, become a better storyteller, it's a really good book. You can check that out over at Audible. And Blueberry Website Hosting is your place to go if you want to create your own podcast. All you have to do is click on any one of those banner ads on the right-hand side and make your regularly scheduled purchases, and a little bit of money comes back to the show. So again, thank you for everyone who has supported the show thus far for letting your friends know about it, for all the retweets on Twitter, for all of your likes on the Facebook page. It's really great. You can check us out on Facebook by going to www.facebook.com slash The Animated Journey. On Twitter, it's at AnimJourney. And on Instagram, it's at AnimJourney. And you can check out what I've been working on lately by visiting www.sketchysoul.com on Tumblr, www.sketchysoul.tumblr.com, on Twitter, at SketchySoul, and on Instagram, at Sketchy underscore Soul. So until next time, thank you everyone for listening. Be encouraged, and have a great day, everybody. Bye!